Hey, everybody, and welcome to episode 32 of the podcast of Nonsensical Gamers. My name is Matt, and joining me on the show today are my two beloved co-hosts, Miss Tiffany B. Hello. And Dan. Ladies. There he is. Did you miss that, everyone, last week? Because I did. I missed it. Yeah. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I did, too. Well, everyone, thank you again for joining us. As I said, if you'd like to reach out to us ever, feel free to look us up on Facebook by searching for the League of Nonsensical Gamers. You can shoot us an email at podcast at nonsensicalgamers.com. Join the conversation over on the BGG Guild number 2077 or find us on Twitter, Instagram, Google Plus, all these fine places. Uh, We would love to chat with you. Today's show is going to be a good one. We've got a filler feature lined up with a new game that you can't even get yet. We've got Failed and Flipped, where Dan will tell us about everything that's good in the world of trading. And then we actually went to the BGG Guild and pulled some of your questions that we now have answers for. So we are going to do a Q&A all about the questions that you guys asked us over there on BGG Guild number 2077. But before we get into any of that, let's start the way we always do, by chatting a little bit about what we've been playing. Tiffany B., what have you been playing? Well, I'm I'm knocking things off of my uh, top of the stack. So I played Between Two Cities. I got a chance to play it twice. You're not supposed to do that. I'm not? not get things off the top of your stack? No. Oh. We don't play games that we mean to, Tiff. That's not the point. <laughs> I thought that was the point. I thought, like, you put it on the top of the stack, that's the first game you play when you can play a game. little inside baseball, Tiff. That's not what we do. Oh. No. We just tell people we're going to play them, and then we play other things. That, that's what you do. <laughs> I stick with my word. Well, hey, guess I what? totally get games played. I do stick to my word as well, because Between Two Cities was not on my stack, but I played it. So I'm clearly oh. not fulfilling my goal. Well, I, I got to play it. We, I only played it three players, but uh, yeah, it's what I expected, except for everything ends in a tie, seems like. You weren't expecting that? I wasn't expecting that. Uh, I, pl- I played the prototype before it was between two cities, and uh, I don't remember it tying. Maybe it's been so long that... I misremembered it, but I feel like I would have remembered if it tied. And I was like, what's the deal with this? Well, give me the the short rundown on Between Two Cities without discussing the art asset, because I don't want Dan to interrupt. Oh, okay. Never mind. Not going to (laughs) ask. So it's a tile drafting game where you are building cities as partners with the people adjacent to you. And so you draft different tiles and there are some rounds where you draft these bigger tiles and there are smaller tiles and you put together these cities. And at the end of the game, your lowest scoring city is what counts towards your score. Uh, there are lots of, di- there are multiple different ways to get points. There are different kinds of buildings that you collect sets of. There are buildings that, you know, can't, if, if they touch, then it's bad. If they touch, it's good. So they're just different ways to put together your little city, kind of like Carcassonne-ish. And, uh, but you're doing it with a partner, but you don't want to be too good at one city and then crappy at the other because your lowest one is going to, is going to be the one that scores. So you have to be a good partner for everyone. Exactly. You got to optimize both cities, your left and your right one. Let's talk about the art. What's wrong with the art? I like it. 
Dan, how do you feel about the art? I don't. You don't feel? I don't feel <laughs> I don't feel. It's, for me, it's the least attractive Stonemeyer game that I have played to date. Granted, there are only three of them, but I was very underwhelmed by the game as well as the art. I'll get into the game in a minute because it's not necessarily a bad thing, but it's just my preferences. Uh, the art was very drab and it looked like a bunch of rooftops and I, I understand like the perspective they were going for but i thought it just it didn't really look that good on the table for me and the back of the tiles i don't even know what's going on the back of the tiles it looks like a persian rug of some sort it was kind of funky looking <laughs> um, the front but, of the tiles are at like a three quarters perspective like top down perspective and it's realistic building art yeah it looks like the sims Kind of. So I guess that's what they were going for. But like when you look at the box and this is for me, what my issue was is there's a, there's a disconnect for me because you look at the box and it's got this nice, like painterly city with this river and it looks kind of, it almost has like a fantastical feel to it. It gives it a real kind of majestic look to it. And then you open it up and it's like, oh, that's downtown seven mile. Welcome to Detroit. Um, like, oh, come on. You have to admit that, like, the box cover is that I get, you know, that's going to grab your attention in the store. I get that. And then you open it up and it's like, oh. <laughs> See, I don't know if I agree with that because I, for the life of me, I cannot remember the box cover at all. So I don't know. I, I, I feel like it's equally as drab I, as the tiles. I feel like you don't recall many of your box covers, though. <laughs> You never Dan has a them. legitimate <laughs> claim. I think that the there is a disconnect. I don't necessarily think that the art on the tiles is bad, but I do think that there is a, a legitimate disconnect between the cover and the style of the tiles. It's just yeah. not quite as like vibrant or vibrant. That's a good yeah. one. I, I was hoping for something more vibrant. Could you play like Viticulture and you play even well, if you play Viticulture's not really like super vibrant. No, though. but it's got a a beautiful it's art rustic. style to it's it. Very yeah, it's very nice, got a nice rustic, homely kind of meaty feel to. It. I like it. Like it fits the theme. Like I just, for me, there was a disconnect between the box cover between two cities where I was like, "Oh, cool, we're gonna build this neat little city," and then I open it up and it's The Sims. Dan so. was expecting something a little more, like he said, fantastical, maybe a little bit more fictional, and it it looks a little bit like. It was too hardcore real. Urban sprawl or something <laughs> like that. Like it's <laughs> But okay, so art aside, although I do agree that I now if Jamie Stegmeyer listens to the show, he may or may not still listen to the show, but I would feel free to contact us and just let us know the choice of the back of the tile. Because I like the Between <laughs> Two Cities logo, and I would have loved to just see Between Two Cities on the back or something like that. But it is this gold and purple. And then yeah. the and then inverse purple and gold on the ones the one by ones and the the one by twos the different tiles. I it was an interesting choice. I don't hate it. I just don't feel like it makes any sense thematically. I think I'm with Dan on the backs of the tiles. I think they're pretty hideous. Yeah, but the front of the tiles are fine. I don't. I, it's not an ugly game. You know what I mean? Like it's just for me, it didn't. I really, mean, for Stonemeier standards. Yeah, I it guess didn't do it I for me. I can see where That's you're coming from. Saying. Like all I right. was, I was expecting one thing, and I got another thing. That's so the vibe I got. All that aside, gameplay. So Tiff, we have a comparison here. So both first impressions. You've only played it once, right? Twice. Twice. Oh, okay. Three but, times if you count the prototype. Gotcha. Well, so we played it once with six people. And it sounds like you've played with smaller player counts, right? Yeah. So yeah. how did you feel about the 
the social element because the game is largely just a tile drafting game, but the, the twist is you work with the players on your left and right. So how is the social element in the smaller count? Uh, not there-ish. I don't know. Um, with three players, it's a little weird because you're really only fighting against one other city, mm-hmm. right? And so I think that makes it kind of weird. And I felt like my choices were pretty obvious where it might be a little bit harder with more players to kind of work that out. And you'd have to be paying attention to more stuff that was going on. I'm only paying attention to one other city. I only have to be better than one other city with one of my two. Exactly. And I, and I didn't find that too hard. Oh, well, you know what I mean? (laughs) Well, I'm kidding. We tied. We all tied. Yeah. So, I'll, I mean, I'll let Dan chime in here with his thoughts, too, because um, they might be different than mine. But it was six players. Now, we were a little rowdy to give some context. We were, we were in rare form, the six of us. I don't know what was going on that night, but we were periscoping and just not paying attention to Ben as he tried to teach us this new game. The game itself is not hard to learn. Makes sense after a turn. You get the You get the idea of the game. I found at least in our one play, and I would like to try it again and maybe a couple more times, but the decisions I made when I drafted, I felt were typically the decisions I stuck with when I showed everyone my tiles. So I would, I was on, I had Smee on one side, Cal on the other side, I'd say, these are the ones that I drafted, and they'd say, okay, and we'd just go with that decision. There was no like, oh, well, maybe we should switch that because of this. Like, it didn't really matter that I was building with that other player. That's how mm. I felt, at least. I mean, that's similar to my experience with three. So maybe I did get the full experience. Yeah. What do you think, Dane? Yeah, I felt the the social element in theory, I thought was really interesting. Um, the whole kind of let's be cooperative and let's kind of plan these cities together. But at the end of the day, like paying attention to two cities and then looking at what everyone else is building because it's, it is a drafting game and you're going to be passing things. I, I don't know. It was too much to keep track of in, in a six player game. And like you said, I wound up just drafting two tiles saying, Hey, Steve, you like this one? Cool. Ben, this one? Cool. And we just built it. There was a little bit of discussion about where it should go, but there was no real like hardcore negotiation. Like, no, don't put it there. It was yeah. like, yeah, it, it works better here. Well, do you, did, were you expecting hardcore negotiation? Because this is kind of like no, a but, really light game, right? It is. It, it is. is. It's a very light game. But the way it was talked up to me and having seen the prototype with you guys playing it at Gen Con, it was like the social aspect of it was kind of the neat little twist on the draft. And yeah. it just didn't come into play for me. So I that, that twist was lost on me. You're not really cooperatively building a city outside of the fact that you're building in the same area. But other than that, there's no cooperative effort. You're not making decisions together. You're just saying, hey, I hope you pick the right tile and you don't screw us both kind of thing. <laughs> well, you're kind of trying to read your partner's minds a little bit. Like, but, I don't and know. And this is, I think maybe this will touch on my, I don't want to say biggest problem with it, but the thing I found the least interesting was it, it lacked variety for me. It just wasn't that engaging i thought all my decisions were very deliberate and kind of almost programmed in a way i'm like okay i need a yellow great there's a yellow okay i need a red that's this symbol okay like i would have liked to seen and this touches maybe on your ability to tie so much tiff is like the variety in the tiles and the writing the scoring was just it wasn't there for me 
And again, this yeah. is just a first play. I'll gladly play it again because it was light and quick enough to do it like bang, bang kind of thing. And Matt and I had the discussion. It, it, it seems like it's trying to sit like just under like what Seven Wonders does. Because Seven Wonders is always kind of propped up as this game that you can play with seven players and it's interesting and it's fun and it's not too long. And what Matt and I kind of talked about and chime in, Matt, as you feel free to, um, this sits a little bit, it's obviously lighter than Seven Wonders and it can be played quicker, but is there is there a real desire for this in my collection? That's kind of where I was hung up. Like I, I found myself, if I wanted that drafting experience, the city building, civ building kind of thing, I'm still going to grab Seven Wonders. Yeah, or a number of other, you know, smaller scale or smaller player count drafting games. Like that's this the appeal to this is play it with a large group because everyone's kind of working together, building left and right, and you're passing tiles all around. But that kind of experience with that number of players is better suited by Seven Wonders. And at the smaller scale, there are other games that do it better. So while I don't think that there's anything wrong with this game, it's just about its place within the market. And I don't know that my collection needs that this game. Yeah, but you guys like Seven Wonders, and I, I'm Luke, very lukewarm on Seven Wonders because we can never remember the rules from play to play. And and that's where this and, game really succeeds. Right. So yeah, I just I don't think it's a bad game either. I think it's well designed. It's very streamlined. It flows well, and it it's easy to teach. It makes sense. I just wasn't I wasn't blown away by it. My my thoughts are that I think that everything within the game is sound. Even the art, even like the gameplay itself, I think is sound and that there's definitely a market there for it. Somebody's going to like this game and there's enough people that will like the game. My only legitimate critique objectively is the tie scoring thing because I don't get how that slipped through. Yeah, I don't either. I mean, they do play testing. Yeah. For sure. I mean, I, I trust Stonemeyer and their ability to balance and playtest a game, and yet the tie game phenomena seems to be, it's everywhere. I'm hearing yeah. reports of it repeatedly. It's like it's too balanced, so they came up with all those tiebreakers? I'm just speculating, but, you know, when you have a set of three tiebreakers in your rulebook, you've clearly encountered a lot of ties, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and that's that's another mental block for me too. Is like I I play to win. I don't play to win by tiebreaker, and it almost seems like you're striving to win one of these tiebreakers in a way. And it's um, right. You definitely have to play for those tiebreaks for sure. And I and I don't know if I mentally enjoyed that. And I, I understand maybe it's some genius way of scoring that I just haven't re- recognized the brilliance in yet. But <laughs> it just we had a five way tie. Five well, out of six players tied. <laughs> were you thinking at all about the tiebreakers? Well, that's I mean, the you funny played thing it is once. that they weren't taught to us because they were tiebreakers. And we right. were like, whatever. Tiebreakers yeah. are usually what you check after you do final scoring. Yeah. For ti- for me, a tiebreaker is for an anomaly. It's not for a, a standard kind of result. Yeah. And I didn't teach the rules to this, Kyle. Um, friend of the show. Uh, <laughs> Hi, Kyle. <laughs> taught it. <laughs> taught it to me and uh i don't know how big of an emphasis they put on these tiebreakers but i feel like if the game is going to end in a tie very often that it should be like hey pay attention to these i hope it's in bold somewhere i hope it's in a pop out it should be if it's not now yeah. now let me ask this though for all all three of us knowing now the importance of tiebreakers 
what what do you feel your next kind of impression would be about with the next play? Like, how do you think it'll play out? I definitely think it goes differently because I did play it another time, but because you're having to think about those tiebreakers as you're drafting your cards. You're like, well, okay, but if I do this, then that puts me farther away from getting that first tiebreaker if we all, you know. So it, it does play in. It changes what you're drafting a little bit. But I don't know if I just felt like I didn't have a need to make complicated decisions because I was playing with so few players or what. But yeah, the, I think it does make a difference. Well, the tiebreakers, if I'm correct, well, the first one is your other city. So your how well did your other city do? Right. And then it goes down by the most of the particular colored tiles. Right. Correct. So that That's means right. that provided that you have, if for some reason you have a tie on your second city, um, that means that the way that you're going to play or the, the success, if you're playing towards tie breaks is dictated by the colors that you randomly get dealt at the beginning of the game or the beginning right. of the round, which then makes me a little wary because sure you have control over playing towards the tie break, but you don't have control over what colors you get. So if you just got more yellows than me and that's the second tie break, I don't know. It makes playing for the tie break as a strategic choice more difficult. Right. So. I want to play it more because I think that there is probably some more to, to try, mainly because I know that the, the context we played in was just a mess. Uh, we were just, we were a hot mess that game. But so I do want to try it with I was you know, drunk. a more critical mind. Dan might have been drunk. I was, but I'm still kind of you know, prophetic. Oh, he's still <laughs> on his game. I feel bad for Ben, is what it sounds like. Yeah, Ben got the raw end of the deal, and if he listens to this, we're sorry, Ben, uh, because I told Dan we were a little mean to him. We didn't let Did him explain you... the rules well and things like that. You croft-wagoned him. Yeah, Dan, Dan croft-wagoned him, yes. Croft-wagoned, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Dan Matt-riddled him, just... Yeah, I did. But it's okay. Yeah, I don't know. It's an interesting game. We've kind of selected it for review in November, so yeah, we're definitely going to play it more. You'll hear our thoughts more, and you'll hear Ben's thoughts, and he loves everything. So there will be a positive <laughs> note out there. Anywho, Dan, a game that you played. Um, I got to play Garden Dice. I want to know what you thought about this. <laughs> so this was a, a game about planting vegetables in a garden using dice and i'm not gonna lie it's probably one of the better dice games i think i've ever played yes i am so happy it uh yeah matt saw it at uh, a new game store that opened up in annapolis here and it was, they had a bunch of games that looked like they had like dusted them off that were in their back <laughs> room for years matt got garden dice i got pelopenes all these like things that you can't really find too readily nowadays um and so i mean first off it's it's a dice game so there's it's it's got everything that i talk about that i hate in a dice game but i what i liked about this was there was some chaining and comboing which is kind of cool so when you plant things uh you have to water them and then harvest them but you know the surrounding tiles on this gridded uh board can chain in that you know whatever if you harvest a, a five vegetable if you have a four and a three next to it those two harvest as well so you can kind of plant your garden so that you can kind of efficiently uh, pick it which is kind of neat and thematic um, and as far as the 
the dice rolling and the randomness there. I thought there was enough ancillary things going on in the game with some of the, you have this animal that can eat other players stuff. And then there's the scarecrow and uh, sundial that lets you change things. So I thought there was enough going on that I always had something to do with my dice, which was, which was a good feeling. So um, it was a little bit longer than I think I would have liked. And I think that was three of us had played it for the first time. Uh, so that was a big thing. And, and also these games where you have kind of gridded coordinates, they can they can bring about a little bit AP because especially when you're able to change dice so readily, you, you know, you can make different combinations and you got to look at all the different permutations to see which one fits the best for what you're trying to do. So I understood why it took so long. I just, you know, going forward, I hope it takes a little bit shorter of a time, but I thought it was good. I'm not going to lie. I thought it was one of the better dice games I'd played. That makes me so oh. happy. It makes me happy too. We need like a sound effect for when Dan enjoys the dice game. Should it be like just an angelic like, sound? Yeah. It should be just it should be me just and going. Harps. It should be me just in the background going, shit. <laughs> Dan was like, uh, I played garden dice and I'm scared to admit <laughs> I liked it. Uh I was excited to get this game. This has been floating around for a little while and it's not it wasn't hugely popular. Um but I was always interested in it because it is a dice game and it's about planting and farming and like a cutesy kind of cartoony kind of way. And it's Dan's style of dice game in that it's reactive. You you roll your dice first and then choose what to do with them as opposed to do choose to do something and roll dice to see if you succeed uh, in planting your carrot or something like that. So uh, I really like it. I think that it would be quicker. Uh, Eric and Bree were really thinking through some of their moves and Dan and I were kind of moving right along. So I do think that the the time lagged for me as well with four players, but I played it two player with Kel, which was much quicker, but the board is a little bit too big and there's not as much competition for space and there's not as much chaining of other people's vegetables going on. So I do think that three and four player is a better count, uh, but I really liked it for a game under 40 bucks. It's really clean. It's well put together. It all makes sense. And I think that on future plays, it will go a lot quicker, um, so I'm I'm happy to have it. Yay! Have you played it, Tiff? I own it. Oh, do you? Yeah. Well, she's yeah, never played it. played it. Didn't see that one coming. Hey, who would have thought? <laughs> Tiff owns don't, a game that she hasn't played. Don't mess with me on a weeknight, Dan. That's you cool. know that's not smart. That's cool. <laughs> Consistency. I'm gonna is mail good. some mittens to Baltimore. Ooh. That's right, listeners. You have no idea what I'm talking about, but it's fine. <laughs> don't worry, listeners. Neither do I. Correct. <laughs> well, hey, before this, mom and dad are fighting again. Uh, before this goes on too long, I will chat about Pandemic Legacy, and I will do mm. so with no spoilers, I guess. Tiff, did you did you get Pandemic Legacy? I don't think I'm going to. No, I don't know. To. I don't know if I can do it. You talk about it, and we'll see if I can handle. All right. So I played two games of Pandemic Legacy. Uh, we we set up a regular Friday game group, although it's getting canceled this Friday for Wisdom Teeth, but whatever. Uh, ben, me, Cal, and Steve, and we played two games the same night that we played between two cities and some other stuff. Uh, we lost both of them. Uh, it is it's Pandemic at the beginning of the game. The game is just Pandemic when you start. So Steve had never played Pandemic, so we taught him quickly. And Kel and Ben and I, that's one of the games that we first got in with. So we knew how to play. And then it starts changing because there's this legacy deck that basically dictates your play. You turn over cards at certain times. You add stickers to the board at certain times. Things change. 
and things like that. Um, I'm trying not to not to spoil, but uh, essentially we lost twice. It's tough as nails, and I don't know because a lot of people are showing success, and maybe we just suck at pandemic. But we're we're kind of savvy players, and I thought we were doing okay. And two games later, we had eleven cities rioting or not rioting uh, at unrest and some bad things had happened and I'm half dead and things like that. So I think it's really fun. I think we're, we're going to have a lot of fun. We might do like a narrative blog just to, to play with the storytelling element and we're getting into the characters and it's also just a fun challenge. Like I think pandemic, this breathes new life into a game that's largely stagnant for those two invested in the hobby. Like pandemic has gotten old, but this really breathes new life into it. Because it changes it just enough, makes it interesting, and reminds you that Pandemic is a good co-op game for a reason. It's it's a smart design. Um, it's just... I'm awful at it, apparently. <laughs> so. From the pictures uh, I've seen on Instagram and Twitter, it seems like you're like ripping up cards and putting I, stickers on really quickly. I ripped up my first card. In our first game, oh. I ripped up a card. Um, and it I literally ripped it. Because I'm not resetting the game. It's going to happen. Kel got a picture of it and the pain on my face. Uh, and then every time, this isn't a spoiler, every time a city has an outbreak, you put a sticker on it. And the unrest level will raise for that city. So you're going to get outbreaks. It's just how the game goes. It's about trying to beat the game before the outbreaks. So every city, you know, we had a bunch of cities go to level one and a couple cities go to level two. They go up to five and five is like a fallen city. It's just desolate and disease has destroyed it. Uh, so we're already like halfway on a couple of our <laughs> cities and we're only one month in. The game plays 12 months. If you fail the first time, you get to try again in the same month. So we're going into February 0 and 2 and distraught to say the wow. least. <laughs> so we'll see how and it goes. Ugh, it makes me nauseous to think about ripping up a card. Yeah. I can't even. <laughs> throw away cards when they're like when there's a misprint they send you new cards i like keep those old misprinted I cards too i've got like my <laughs> evolution cards and stuff i i keep the ones that you can customize even though i never customize like make your mm -hmm. own card i'm like i'm not going to but i still have it yeah no i ripped up a card it sucked i'm proud that's amazing steve was like are you are you sure you could just put it to the side i was like nope this is life Rip. I, I just envisioned him like putting his arm around you being like, are you okay, dude? <laughs> like afterward? There was a moment. Yeah, yeah. it was. A, okay. We're, we're failing together. It brings you together as a game group. But anyway, I don't know that Dan has any interest in this, although you were talking about that you might play it, right, Dan? It's pandemic. It's like Risk Legacy. <laughs> like the legacy is, it's such a cool idea. And in practice, it's probably really cool too. But when you get down at the heart of it, you're still playing Pandemic or Risk, and those two games. But there's don't. nothing wrong with Pandemic. Like that's a Pandemic, good game. like you said, has just passed me by. It's a uh, for me. Pandemic is like that. It's it's too open. It's like the ultimate alpha player game because there's always an optimal move, and when somebody does that suboptimal move, it's really hard to just sit back and go, mm, no. It's, yeah, you should have done that. Um, but it's a co-op, so you say something. I know, but it's yeah. really hard to kind of just take over. Teamwork. And I, I, I'm starting to enjoy co-ops. That's because co Dan's an alpha player. 
No, I'm not. Yeah. I'm just starting to enjoy co-ops where there's just a little bit more hidden information where everything's not just so out in the open and it, there's, you know, the optimal move right. is completely on display for everyone to see and comment on kind of thing. I, I like that. I think it's a little more challenging when there are hidden variables. Like in Dead of Winter. Yeah. Yeah. Dan played Dead of Winter and all co-ops are ruined for him. Dead I of Winter. Yeah, I don't know. I played Lit Risk Legacy, and I do have that. I agree with Dan saying it's still when you're when it comes down to it, it is still Risk, and you're not going to complete your campaign if you don't love Risk. Yeah. And we didn't complete our campaign. Pan- well, Pandemic is a good game. Ten years ago, like, but I love Pandemic. I, it just and doesn't I hold still up. Still do. That's Pandemic all. is still a good game. But when if you was don't the like last Pandemic, time you played it, though? <laughs> Years ago, because it bored me. It's okay. I mean, it's like, whatever. Dan doesn't like Pandemic, so that there's no reason to play Pandemic Legacy. You won't have a good time. That's fair. So, I, that I mean, I wasn't, I wasn't hurting sense. to play it. Oh, no, I'm just saying, like, for any listener who doesn't like Pandemic, don't waste your time or your money, because it is Pandemic. But if you like Pandemic, do it. Yeah, like I could see it breathing new life for those people who like it. I think that's a really neat idea. And I love the idea of a legacy game. That's why I can't wait for Seafall because it's going to be unique and original. And that really excites me. I'd be curious to hear from people that have played Pandemic Legacy and Risk Legacy because it just seems to me like the changes in Pandemic happen quicker and affect the game quicker. They do. It just seems that way. They do. We didn't play much Risk Legacy, but those changes largely happen towards the end of the game. Right. Whereas Pandemic is changing in the middle of the game, our objective, like the point of the game shifted in the middle of a turn. And we were like, right. oh, stop just, doing what you're doing. That's probably just growth in like the understanding of how a legacy game should work. Not to mention Pandemic is a much quicker game than Risk. Yes. Yes. So <laughs> it may seem like it's flipping over only because you're playing games quicker kind of thing. You could probably play two or three games of Pandemic in a in a normal game of Risk if it's played by competent players. True. Well, all right. So that is Pandemic Legacy. I will probably keep talking about it as we play and things go poorly for us as they likely will. Let's go ahead and take a break. And when we come back, we're going to do a filler feature on a very cool timeline game. So join us then. All right, everybody. Thank you for joining us after the break. We are going to talk about Timeline Challenge now for today's filler feature. Dan and I got a chance to play Timeline Challenge. There will be a review on nonsensicalgamers.com at some point. But until then, let this hold you over. And Tiff, you did not get a chance to play. So you listen in and see if this sounds enticing to you. So Dan, go ahead and let us know what Timeline Challenge is all about. Welcome, my friends. Journey back in time with me. <laughs> wow, you've been practicing that one? I have. I, I do these intros in the mirror every once in a while. So Timeline Challenge. This is a new game from Asmodee. It's not yet available, but it should be, I think, within the next month or so. This game is Timeline Grandeur. <laughs> Something along those lines. It's a bigger, quote, meteor timeline game. So... Timeline challenge is played. It's it holds up to two two to ten players. 
is what the box says. It's really two to five. After five, you're playing in teams. So two to five players solo, five or more if you want to group up with people. I know when we played, Matt and Kelly uh, formed a team because we had six. So it worked really nicely. But what this is, is this game comes with a giant board. On this board, at the top, there is a, a scale. So it gives a, a timeline of sorts with uh, numbers zero through nine. And then the middle, this is the central kind of game board. So it's it's a spiral. And in this spiral, there are a number of different icons. And each of these icons represents a trial that the players are going to have to go through. And a trial is basically a twist on timeline and the guessing of dates within the timeline kind of thing. The, f- the first player on the board, so the person in first place, determines the trial that you're going to do, all five people. And the different trials range from a number of different things, but they mainly play off of the timeline that is posted on the top of the main game board. This timeline goes from zero to nine and has various ranges scattered outside of these numbers. So for instance, zero is 500 or below. Or if you chose six, that is the 1820s through the 1880s. So you kind of get the idea that, you know, the numbers correspond to a date range and you're going to be picking these date ranges for the various trials. Again, you've got that, you've got one where you're betting. So you're betting to kind of play off of the the different date ranges. You can bet one or four or hedge your bets and do four different ones. It's just up to you. You're trying to guess the date. Um, there's one where you're trying to determine the number of years between two cards. So again, if you had the Declaration of Independence and the invention of the internet, you're going to put something like 400 plus years. The closest player there is going to win. There's another one where you're actually trying to guess the order. So you're going to put out four timeline cards and you're going to order them one through four, one being the uh, earliest four being the latest in the timeline, things like that. Uh, A lot of really cool, neat kind of twists on the trivia that is involved with the timeline cards. And again, these are all just using basic timeline cards and it's fully compatible with any of your timeline sets that you already have, which is really neat and brings about a lot of kind of interesting dates and periods in history and inventions and all kinds of stuff. Basically, the first person to get to the end of the the spiral on the game board is the winner. It's it's a really I don't want to say it's quick. It probably takes about 30 to 40 minutes to play a full game, but it's just a it's a really neat twist on timeline. And I found it extremely enjoyable. And I, I do have a bias towards trivia because I am a huge fan. If you don't listen to the show, you know, we <laughs> we love trivia here. We do it basically every other episode just for fun. I'll let I'll let Matt speak to it because he played played along with me. But I really enjoy this one. Yeah, I completely agree. I think that. This is going to fill a lot of spots in people's collections, and it's going to be a good place to start in a lot of ways. So basically throw out Trivial Pursuit, which you shouldn't have anyway, but Timeline Challenge is the way to go. Uh, The way that they take regular timeline and transform it into five different ways that still feel like timeline and are still testing the same kinds of knowledge, but they transform them into five fun little mini games, and those mini games, at least in our play... They happened, uh, there was a variety throughout the game. We didn't end up playing like the same thing over and over again. We got to sample them all, which was fun and kind of test our knowledge in different ways. And the fact that it's fully compatible, when I was uh, at the game store the other day buying Garden Dice and, and another game, I was like, hmm, I could buy some timelines to put into Timeline Challenge. 
because it's it's just a fun way that normal timeline can be mixed together as well. But the challenges here just they just make for more interesting combinations. It's already fun to see like put Spider-Man Marvel timeline or card line or whatever along with ancient history, but then it's also the new Star Wars timeline. You put that next to American history and kind of mash it all up together and see I was joking with Dan like how much time occurred between when Han shot Greedo and the invention of the electric iron. Like that'd be great to play. Wouldn't you want to play that? Uh, I just, I think that this is a great family game, a great intro game, uh, a great party game. It fills a lot of different holes and gaps in people's collections. So I was very impressed with Timeline Challenge, a really simple way to to breathe new life like Pandemic Legacy, you know, breathe new life into a game that people already own, find a new way to play it. And it comes with like 110 new cards anyway, which is awesome. So you're not completely recycling stuff. And it has storage in the box for all the other timelines. Yeah. So you could even get rid of some space on the shelf with those tins by throwing them all in this timeline challenge box, which is pretty cool. That is awesome. <laughs> because they are kind of an odd shape, even though I love those little tins. It, yeah, it's got plenty of plenty of room in the box for the extra. But I, I'm just looking forward to playing this, especially with Elsa, my wife, because she kicks my ass at timeline because she knows like exact dates of everything. And being that Asmodee is a French company, there's a lot of French history involved in it. And with my wife being French, she knows every single day <laughs> of it. And uh, yeah, it's kind of getting annoying. So being able to like, uh, switch up the way the challenge is where she, you know, knowing the exact date is helpful, but it's not absolutely necessary and you can kind of play off a little a broader vaguer knowledge that you have of the world (laughs) that's why you gotta get american history i don't even think i know american histories wow (laughs) yeah there's your problem (laughs) i know the inventions one pretty well but that's about it this is just it's just cool because it's almost like the game is coming out after the expansions like all the different sets of timeline are out there pick and choose what you want to play with and incorporate them into this really cool kind of way to play the game. One thing I forgot to mention is there. there's actually a neat little catch-up mechanic along the track. There's two, two spots along the track that when somebody crosses over them, the players in the last place and second to last place, and multiple can be in that if there is a tie, do these things that are called challenges. And it's it acts as a catch-up mechanic because only these players could score points to catch up in the game. And one of them is called Sudden Death. And it's basically playing timeline. You're going to play out a card and then the next player has to play one to the left or right and so on. You go until somebody messes up. And the other one is called uh, More or Less. There's a moderator, and it's the person in first place. He draws a card, and you have to guess the exact date. And he's going to play a little hot and cold with you. So if I say Declaration of Independence, mm, 1550, and he's going to say higher, and then the next person will guess, and he'll say higher or lower. So it's a little bit of a, you know, if you know it, you may not want to give your opponent such a thing. I don't know. I thought it was kind of neat to play a little. It's like that Price is Right game. Yeah. It's a little red light, green light. It's kind of fun. So... Tiff, what do you think? Sold. <laughs> I love timeline just in general. And it's, uh, I have every timeline, I think, except for American history, probably for the same reason Dan doesn't have it. But uh, we play it at lunch a lot. And I think to make my timeline collection more valuable and, and useful as a game, and it sounds like it's a blast. It, so It really is. We are not frequent timeline players in terms of the the larger game group but this is a game that i could easily see us just for you know sitting around being dumb just like breaking out 
timeline just for fun as a filler and in place of some other filler games and we were all cracking up i mean yeah. around the table i mean myself and like smee who are like hard hardcore euro kind of gamers <laughs> and then everyone you know matt who loves thematics and <laughs> steve who likes everything and ben who is just there sometimes and then <laughs> it's just there was a wide spectrum and we all enjoyed it which it, it speaks it speaks highly to the game itself yeah, which is fun. Although Tiff, the game is l- way overproduced. The board is ginormous. I think Sounds it's kind of neat, though. I think don't it, bring it to lunch. Yeah, it's a big <laughs> is what board. I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> you could easily play without the board. You could probably make up like a travel size and like print yeah. out like the timeline on a piece of paper and play that. But the well, board I gives it a nice play. feel. <laughs> I play the app at lunch with a the band director that I work with. I'm not playing with lots of people. Um, but that would definitely be something for board game club yes. that would breathe some life into timeline. The kids are kind of a mixed bag on timeline, but I think this might add enough of a game to it that it would seem less educational to them. I would agree. <laughs> there's betting and there's gambling and there's making fun of your friends who are dumb things that kids love. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> So I think that that is enough to say uh, about Timeline Challenge. Be sure to check out our review on nonsensicalgamers.com at some point in the near future. But for now, keep your eyes peeled for Timeline Challenge. And that is our filler feature. We are going to take a quick break. And when we come back, Dan is going to tell us about his tales and exploits in the trading community with Failed and Flipped. Welcome back, everybody. It is time to get into Failed and Flipped. And for this edition of Failed and Flipped, we are going to focus in on Dan, who is a trade and selling machine, and ask him what's going on in the trade world. So, Dan, what's up? Yeah, I love to trade games, and I like to sell crappy ones, too. But this month, I didn't sell any crappy ones. I just sold a bunch of games. I'm on this kind of... um, for those of you who watch Newsroom, I'm on this mission to civilize my collection. It's just grown just leaps and bounds and it it has no right to because i don't get to half of those games and i just i'm trying to kind of weed out some things and as we mentioned in a prior episode i'm also trying to obtain some older games and by older obviously that's all relative but some more kind of quote classics or ones that really have some staying power that will stay in my collection and get rid of some of these kind of more mediocre or games that I've just kind of outplayed or outgrown. Uh, I had a busy month. I'm just going to quickly kind of go through what I did and feel free on the guild to tell me if I got ripped off or if I ripped the person off or either or. I mean, I'm I'm not trying to. I was always always want to have a fair trade. And I think most of these are pretty damn good. So uh, first up, I acquired Dominant Species. This is a game that I've wanted for a very long time. It has high praise. It's a meaty heavy euro with tons of cubes and bland artwork and oh it's it's beautiful it's so cool and i love the i love the theme of taking a species and trying to kind of conquer the planet with it it's just really neat and really appealing to me i've not got a chance to play this yet obviously i just recently obtained it um, but i traded that uh, i traded my city of iron first edition for it as soon as I saw the second edition Kickstarter went up, I listed my copy of City of Iron, which I hadn't really played. I got in a math trade and I, I'm kind of so-so on Red Raven games. A lot of them have been misses. Some have been hits, but 
overall, I'm kind of in the middle on those. And City of Iron was one that, again, I just got into math trade. It was something I was interested in, but not as interested as dominant species. So I was very happy with that trade. And if I need to get City of Iron in the future, I'll grab the second edition. Uh, the next one we touched on in a prior episode, so I'll just briefly go through. I traded my copy of Penny Press, which is, was a recent Kickstarter from Asmati about building a newspaper uh, physically, kind of. Um, I traded this for Vikings, the Michael Kiesling classic game that was reprinted. I actually got the old Rio Ground version, uh, but no big deal because the only thing that happened with the new Z-Man edition was it was reprinted. No aesthetic changes or rule changes. So very happy with that trade because I really enjoy Vikings. Uh, another one I recently did was Doodle Quest and My Tides of Time for Quebec, which is a Euro game, kind of area control-ish and uh, I, I don't know how to describe it. I, I haven't gotten to the table yet, but I have read the rules three times because I'm really excited to play it. Um, I get a really good vibe from it, and I've heard really good things about it. Uh, Doodle Quest was on the block because I have Looney Quest, and I enjoy Looney Quest much more. And Tides of Time is a good game. Uh, just one of those games, just played a lot of it. It's only two-player. Um, and as we mentioned kind of in a filler feature back before, the staying power of it just wasn't there for me. Um, just only because the, it just playing it over and over, it's, you kind of see the same things. So um, I was very happy with that trade. And my last trade that I did last month was was my favorite one, actually. I traded my Kickstarter edition Viceroy for Francis Drake, which monetarily speaking is a win for me. Um, and I, I have to say gameplay-wise is a win for me as well because I played both Francis Drake and Viceroy and I really enjoyed Francis Drake uh, much more than I enjoyed Viceroy, uh, which I didn't really enjoy. And I think we've talked about that as well. But uh, Francis Drake, I'll talk about that in another episode uh, because we did play that recently and uh, I really liked it. And then games that just didn't work for me or weren't seeing play i sold i sold some tiny epic galaxies which i talked about last episode just not my bag matt still got it so if i have the itch to roll dice and build a, a bland universe i will do that then there's bottle imp which is the old trick-taking game that people either despise or revere it's kind of, it's just such a spectrum of <laughs> opinion on this game uh it's out of print i had i had it listed i wasn't torn whether i sold it or not but i was offered a good amount of money for it and i said sure you can have it <laughs> so i uh, got rid of bottle limp uh carson city first edition uh, this was one i recently picked up at a, a flea market and i i just flipped it because i have the new carson city uh, black box edition coming and then uh warehouse 51 another game that we talked about an auction game uh newer one i picked up uh at gen con bruno Fiduti. I just feel that there's other auction games in my collection that kind of fill the niche that that game did. And I wasn't too mad to part with it. So all in all, I had a, I had a pretty good month. I, I, I didn't buy a lot like of it. games. I think I only bought one game and that was Mission Red Planet. Oh, and P Peloponnese as well. Sorry, I forgot I bought those two. But uh, all in all, I've been really trying to exercise my my trading uh, skills as well as my my bargaining skills because I want to trade I want to thin the collection and I've got a really good one in the works right now but I'll save that for the next one so that's what I've been doing if you have interest in like trading with me or anything I'm NAD24 on BGG so look me up NAD24 go to the guild yeah go to the guild and find me there and join the guild and buy a micro badge as well 
Actually, I will buy you a micro You don't have badge. to buy the micro yeah. badge. I have so much geek gold that I don't know what to do with. So I'm happy to give it away if you would like to support the show and get a micro badge. Maybe anybody who trades with you, you should gift them a micro badge. Most of the people I trade with, I don't know. Spread though. the brand, Dan. Spread yeah, the brand. Okay. Thanks for that trade. Here's some feedback and a micro badge. Be like, hey, I'll give you City of Iron and this sweet micro badge for dominant species. I can't I can't really do that though, because they actually have to physically buy it. I can't just gift them a micro badge. I you have to gift them the eight geek gold and then well, they have to physically buy it. Have faith in the board gaming community, Dan. Mm. <laughs> Anyways. All right. Well, it sounds like a pretty successful month, and I get to reap the benefits of all of Dan's trades because I've played a bunch of those games already. So, fun for me. It's like adding new things to the collection without any work. Yeah, it's neat. I know, um, and we'll touch on this maybe next time, I know uh, Matt Loomis on the Guild was kind of asking about the mentality of trading games and how shipping costs are involved and things like that. I think it's a really good question. I think we should talk about that next time because... Yeah. It's not a money-making game. No, no, not by any means, but it, it's kind of a, it gets into just the mental side of it and the opportunity cost and just what you're willing to go with. So, yeah. So if you want to chat trades, Dan is your man. Although Tiff and I have done a few trades in our day, you know, we've, we've got some experience, but Dan's the guy. So head on over to the guild or hit him up on Twitter, ask him about some trading or what he's got for trade. And uh, in the meantime, we are going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to do some questions and then we're going to answer those questions. So join us for that. All right, everybody. Thank you for joining us for our last segment of the episode. It is our question and answer. So Dan put out the call for some questions on the guild number 2077. Uh, He got some good responses. We got some good responses. And we would like to answer some of those questions. So if you have any questions for us that are not answered on this episode, be sure to head over there and ask them yourselves. And we'll do that on a future show. But for now, Dan, what are we chatting about? Yeah, so like Matt said, thanks everyone for uh, submitting some questions. We had a ton So what I did was I went through and I picked uh, five or six for this episode and we'll just answer them in future episodes, you know, as we get around to them. Um, But excellent questions all around. So thanks. And if you have more, please find them on the guild or email us at podcast at nonsensicalgamers.com. Boom. So our first question comes from our buddy Patrick Hillier, and he's curious to know, uh, being that we are in different parts of the country, Matt and I are in beautiful Maryland and Tiff is in lackluster ohio Uh, he's curious how we got together to form this little uh crap show that we do hey 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 this is some high quality podcast entertainment not for long yeah Uh (laughs) so i don't know tiff do you want me to talk of our fateful meeting or would you like to Uh, no go for it you sure i'll chime in if i need to does it hurt too much anyways so matt and i are brothers so we met by chance and tiff and i met would we tiff we haven't known each other too long but you couldn't tell because we're like thing one and thing two <laughs> i'm obviously i'm feeling awkward one. on this show all of a you're, sudden yeah you're the cat in the hat you're, you're i'm the cat in the hat three. you're the cat awesome. in the hat i thought or, it was yeah. gonna be the little boy and the little girl or the fish in the fishbowl i might be the fish in the fishbowl okay he's always yelling fish. that the cat needs to go and we need right. to behave so we've established Tiff is thing one, I'm thing two, Matt is a fish. So we've got the roles lined out. <laughs> 
But no, Tiff and I met at, was it Origins? So Origins mm-hmm. 2014. It was the first Origins I'd been to. And I was just kind of hanging out at the Unpub area. I had I didn't really know anyone. This is We had just started this site like maybe like three or four months before this. We thought it'd be good to kind of go there, maybe get our name out there, talk to some people. Um, we had done some reviews, some Kickstarters. So I was just kind of wandering through and I saw this game of Glass Road being played, which I was very interested at that time. And I just, I didn't know anyone by face because everyone that was sitting around the table was either a designer or like a podcaster. Dan Patrice was there. And I was just standing there and Matt Riddle, who was playing the game, saw my name badge and he recognized that we had just reviewed Eggs and Empires. He saw the name and the the website. He's like, hey man. So he introduced himself and I sat down and just kind of watched. And I was sitting next to Tiff, who was probably doing mediocre i don't remember oh thanks (laughs) actually no i think tiff won that game game. i think you did win that game so i literally just sat down and started talking to everyone and it 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 just kind of clicked and then uh, tiff and i just kind of kept gaming uh that was on like day one in the conference and we kept gaming and wound up at the end exchanging business cards and said hey let's start a podcast because matt and i had thought about doing it ourselves to begin with and i you know Tiff was fun to talk to. She had good perspective. So we said, yeah, let's try it. So here we are. <laughs> yeah. It was weird. I was, I was done writing. I wanted to do more talking instead. So yeah, it worked out perfectly. And it took Tiff and I 31 episodes to become friends, but. <laughs> we made it. We made it. That's because Tiff don't make <laughs> friends with fish. I ba- I barely made friends with Dan. I remember that game of like Glass Road. Just like, who's this guy in the sweater? What's oh, his yeah. deal? <laughs> I distinctly remember being neglected that Origins, and I could never find Dan. I was like, oh, he's with his cool friends at that Blue Noodle. <laughs> well, that's I'm, where all the cool people hang uh, out. I'm yep. into prototypes, so that's like that's kind of where I wanted to hang and like play some unpublished stuff. So yeah. it just worked out that way. There's a lot of Little cool did people. I know he was forging new relationships. That's what I do. That would change your life forever. Yep, that's I have I a new best friend. Mm-hmm. Tiff doesn't know that, but. Oh. I guess now she does. Let me tell anyway. you about my new best friend. She doesn't know it. <laughs> so the question is, Tiff, is that, that an accurate That happens to recount? me a lot. <laughs> Those are called stalkers. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah, well, yeah. That me? happens to me a lot. Remember me? I'm your um, best friend. I don't know you. Remember me? Tiff, did Dan do a better job about your meeting than Stephen Bonacore did? Well, yeah, that was, I don't like to talk about that. That was a little awkward. Well, it's already, on an episode, so yeah, go listen to it. Yeah, we already had that discussion. <laughs> I, I've never blushed so hard telling a story, oh but my. yeah, that was an awkward first meeting. Dan was just like sitting quietly at the table, which is how I prefer to meet my friend. Just stare at them, wonder where they're from, Dan maybe eventually talk after table. a day or two. <laughs> Dan sitting quietly and Tiff thought in her head, this guy's great. Yep. <laughs> Doesn't talk. <laughs> Wait till she meets Stefan Feld. Oh my. Sexy Feld. Sexy Feld. Do you Feld. think he's a quiet guy? I bet he is. He's a 9-5. That's all that matters. Yep. <laughs> Hashtag sexy uh, Feld. He won't be quiet for you, Tiff. Whoa. <laughs> Whoa. No, he won't. Who brought the fish? <laughs> <laughs> All right, Dan, what is question number two? All right, so question number two, uh, we'll try and run through these quickly because these are kind of multi-parts, but uh, this comes from Dustin Schwartz. What's up, Dustin? 
What are three to five publishers you think are vaulting to superstardom in 2015-2016? Let's start with Tiff. Why does it always have to start with me? I never know for sure. It's called Ladies First, Tiff. It's chivalry. It's not dead on this podcast. If there was a door right now, I'd open it for you. Oh. <laughs> that's that's why we're friends. I wouldn't but, pull out your uh, chair because that's a bit weird still. But holding the door is still But nice. he would put your napkin on your lap. Oh, awkward. I've never had anyone put a napkin on my lap. I look forward to the experience. <laughs> Savage. Um, two weeks. <laughs> two weeks from now at BGGCon. Everyone, come and put a napkin on Tiff's lap. (laughs) (laughs) Not everyone. (laughs) Um, So three to five publishers. Wow. Uh, I don't know. Let's go with three. I don't know. (laughs) I I got my three. Really? I I guess I should have thought about this a little bit more in depth. But, you know, I was thinking Red Raven Games seems to be on the up and up. I'm a fan of them, even if Dan isn't. And when I say them i mean him ryan lockett is (laughs) the man he does all the stuff and uh his games seem to be ever popular on kickstarter and i don't know i'd like to see that like grow continuously and maybe possibly blow up and become huge and maybe he can hire more than one guy yeah so it'd be red ravens games yeah yeah so there's one for you all right what about you matt tiff think on it if you got any more well, I'm going to spit mine out. So Red Raven Games was on my short list, but I analyzed the question and the question said 2015, 2016 to stardom, super stardom, not just like on the up and up, which Red Raven is. So super stardom for, for this year and next year, Plaid Hat Games, because Dead of Winter came out this year, Ashes came out this year. They're getting hotter than ever. Portal Games, because of all their good stuff, Rattle Battle and imperial settlers and all this kind of stuff they're on the up and up they got stronghold uh well ignacy's got stronghold coming out all that's coming out from stronghold games and that's actually my third one stronghold games because they finally got some really great imports they've got porta negra they've got lagranja they are doing some really interesting stuff that's you know outside of space cadets and things like that so i think that those three companies plat hat portal and stronghold are officially like top touching the upper echelon of superstardom. Do I agree with that? I don't know. But I think that they're <laughs> there. I think that that's the temperature of the community. So that's Here's my what three. I think needs to happen. All three of those publishers should combine together to rival Asmodee. Well, they'll probably get bought out first. But <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, when are they just going to all be Asmodee? Can I just say that is my blanket yeah, answer? Yeah, you can say that. That's fine. I almost did okay. that. Okay. <laughs> What companies are in superstardom? Asmodee, that's it. Because there's only one now. Yeah. Sorry, guys. Yeah. Monopoly. So mine were, my first one is Foxtrot. I know we've talked to Randy on here before. Lanterns, Wana Menza, and it's also been selected for Tabletop Season 4. So I think people are really, I mean, that game is already hot as it is, but people are going to have even more exposure to that now that Will Wheaton's going to be playing it. Probably playing it wrong because... He doesn't know how to read rules. Oh, 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 oh. Too soon. Uh, too You're soon. You're going to get fired for that. Anyways, <laughs> yeah, he'll, he'll send me a nasty tweet. Um, uh, so them, and they also have World's Fair, and I'm sure they got something up, up, else up their sleeves for next year as well. Uh, my next one is Space Cowboys. These guys are as hot as they come. Oh. 
they have kind of set the standard for production value in my mind. These guys, I mean, being that they fall under Asmodee and they are a French company, I think production is at their forefront of their mind along with design, which is not a bad thing. And they've had some really good games. They've had, well, they've had Splendor. And then they've had some really good games. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm kidding. No, but they've got Time Stories that just came out. They had Black Fleet, Splendor last year. Uh, what else am I missing? I know they've had a couple. Uh, Elysium, yep. uh, which was almost a uh, Kenner Spiel winner. So they're they're really on the upswing here. They're also on my short list. So I think they're destined for some hotness there. Pearl Games. Uh, Pearl Games is another underling of the Asmodee branch. Uh, these guys have brought us Deus, uh, Brussels 1893, Trois, Kinkopolis, and now most recently the Bloody Inn, which was a big hit at Essen 2015. So nothing but good stuff coming out of that shop. And my last one is kind of cheating, but from a U.S.-based perspective, I'd say Haba because they just kind of got their foothold in the U.S. and it's really starting to grow their brand here. And I love them. And now that they're branching out into family-style games, I'm even more excited. So those are my four. Those are all legitimate. I think that we went we went two different paths. I think yours are a little more indie. Probably the end of next year, they're going to be like staples for sure. Space Cowboys is killing it. I had a hard look at whether or not they were superstars yet. I don't know. Excellent. All right, question number three. This comes to us from our friend... Geo Palumba. Apologies if I mispronounce any of these names tonight. Who are your five favorite designers? So I know we've done this on the guild before, um, as far as a listing. So I why don't we just rattle them off really quickly? All right. So starting with me, number one is that beautiful French man himself, Mr. Antoine Bowser. Sexy Bowser. Hashtag. Anyways. Um Jeez. <laughs> number two oh. is Matthias Kramer. Uh, I love him. He's climbing really high. Uh, three is Stefan Feld. Sexy Feld, 9.5. Number four is the combo of Kramer and Kiesling. They've just jumped into my top five. I'm freaking loving everything I've played of theirs recently. And number five is Uwe Rosenberg. Very nice. So I will give the same caveat that I gave on the guild where I don't, I don't necessarily buy by designer. I pay attention to some designers more than others, but really like the, it's the producer, the publisher that catches me first. But that being said, there are some uh, designers who I respect their catalog. So that's what I'm kind of going with is designers who I think have a really solid catalog and that I'd love to play their game. So the first is Bruno Cathala. You can listen to our designer spotlight to know why we love him so much. Eric Lang, he's got a very diverse portfolio in kind of the thematic Ameritrashy, more um, American style end of things. Uh, he's great for that. Uwe Rosenberg, I think that, I mean, all of his games are quality and I'm excited for his new two player game. And, you know, even though it, he's heavier Euro, I think that these are the kinds of Euro games that I like to play. Uh, Matthias Kramer, I was looking through the list of people and didn't realize how many of the games that he made that I really enjoy. So he's definitely up there. And then we just did our designer spotlight on Feld. We love Feld games. His games are great. And he's a really quality designer. So he is definitely on my top five if I had to rank them. Tiff. Okay. So my top five, I do shop by designer. Um, but I really made this list based on how many games I own by said designers. So these are the ones that I have the most games of. So... Number one, obviously, Stefan Feld. Laisla is so, so good. It's so, so green. Sexy Feld. Speaking of sexy Feld, thanks to everyone for uh, for the guild post. 
about Feld. There's some like legit discussion about good Feld, bad Feld. And uh, apparently there is a game that might be worse than It Happens. Whoa. Yeah. I need to get, catch up on yeah, the guild. Go catch up on the guild, Tiff. But uh, yeah. anyway, proceed. Sorry, sorry, guild. <laughs> I can't access Board Game Geek at work, so it's a real problem for me. It is. It's a shame. Um, <laughs> number two would be Bruno Cathala. I think I've talked plenty about how many of his games I own. I enjoy all of them. Richard Launius, that's a no-brainer. Um, Bowza, you just can't deny how good his games are. And Uwe Rosenberg, of course. So... Yeah, we're those pretty are much five. in agreement. Yeah, we like things. Surprisingly, yeah. So, <laughs> well, this is where we'll differ, Dan. What's question four? Question four. This comes from the Todd. I noticed Canada. that you had him as the Todd. He didn't put that. I did. <laughs> that's my dude. Who is your favorite quote unknown game designer, and why? And which game of theirs do you enjoy? So, I think we kind of had some talk before. Unknown. I probably should have gauged this with Todd beforehand, like what he wanted us to kind of answer. But for me, unknown, I went with maybe someone who does not have a vast catalog that maybe kind of flies under the radar a little bit. So, yeah. um, and again, vast catalog, meaning that they're still building it, but the ones they have so far are excellent. I went with, for this one, I went with Sebastian Desjardins who is the designer of one of my games of the year, Deus, as well as Twa. And they're both, again, they're both really highly regarded games. But for me, when I when I hear the name, it's still kind of, what has he done? You know what I mean? It's not like a Bowser. It's not like a, you know, a Feld or anything like that. You, you still kind of have to, and maybe it's just me, you know, everyone else can make fun of me if they don't have to look up Sebastian Desjardins. But those are his two big games, and they're really good games so yeah, yeah that's my cool. quote unknown under the radar game designer tiff what'd you go with uh i don't know this is just a hard one because like unknown game designer or very little known game designer it's going to be kind of a little known person to me so i'd i'd want to go through my collection and maybe pick out some games wh- where I only have one game from that designer. And that would take a lot of time because I have way too many games. So <laughs> uh, I was just kind of thinking like a designer I wish would be, would become a superstar, a household name for board games. Someone who is near and dear to my heart, Mr. TC Petty, the third he's on his way. Cause he's an ion award winning designer and and he's got some really good games under his belt um viva java viva java dice are excellent but uh just knowing his designs and having played so many of his prototypes he's just got so many interesting ideas that i would like to see more of uh, actually published and i hope that i hope that people can play more of his games soon i think i've interacted with tc maybe for five whole seconds but listening to him on State of Games and just seeing him in person, he's a super interesting dude with a crazy brain. Yeah. Uh, and also and amazing hair. Oh, amazing, amazing hair. And he's hilarious in the driest fashion. And uh, also, TC, if you listen to this, where's my copy of Xenon Profiteer? Because <laughs> I would love that in hand right now. But no, I think that's a good pick, Tiff. Thanks. I appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> Positive reinforcement. For I'll my pick, pick more things now. For my pick, 
I went with Andrew Fetterspiel. And this is, he is the head of Knapsack Games. Uh, his first title was Knee Jerk, which we did preview. It's a party game with some funny kind of like word association storytelling. You put together these cards. Uh, but his second title, Apotheca, was really impressive to me. And it's it's light and puzzly, but the step between Knee Jerk and Apotheca showed some really nice range in terms of design. The way that he has been handling his Kickstarter campaigns, I think is really professional, really impressive. He's got a good head on his shoulders and he's a really nice guy. We met him in Origins. Uh, I, I appreciate the games that he's designed and I appreciate kind of him as just a person who's running his own company and things like that. So I think that he's one to look out for in terms of unknown game designers. Uh, and definitely check out Apotheca if you haven't. It's an awesome little game. So that is my, he's my favorite unknown game designer. Yeah, I was bummed. I kind of forgot about the Kickstarter. It was one of my like hiatus moments. And yeah. I was like, I'm not backing anything, but I really regret not backing Apotheca. It's, and it's a quality Andrew's game. great. Yeah, and Andrew, he's such a nice guy. And just, you know, corresponding with him through the site and things like that. Good guy, good designer. Definitely want to check out. Um, he's kind of lower on the list in terms of number of titles. He's still working his way up there, but he's, what he's produced so far has been really good quality. So one to check out. All right. These last two are kind of a, a miscellaneous kind of category that we could leave probably... it to Matt Wolf and Travis Hill. Yes. Well, um, and they, they submitted some other questions too, but I just threw these in here to kind of round everything out. So everyone, what is your favorite candy bar? The correct answer, according to Matt Wolf, is Twix, which I disagree with. Twix are delicious. Dan disagrees with someone's opinion. What? What? Uh, Twix suck, Matt Wolf. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, Twix, it's a it's a candy bar. You know, it's okay. (laughs) It's a candy bar. (laughs) Didn't blow me away. (laughs) You know, it's produced well, and I get why people like it, but you know. I don't know. It's I just not for it. me. It's not in my taste. Oh, I was I underwhelmed by the experience. <laughs> <laughs> Tiff, what do you like? I don't know. I'll um, say Baby Ruth. Uh, I'm going to say something that's similar to Baby Ruth, and that is Payday. Uh, I love a good Payday bar. Sorry. You really like to chew. Nuts. Right? Okay. <laughs> we, ha- we had to go there. Keep no. it classy, Dan. It's got nuts. That's all. It's literally is. like a row of peanuts stuck together <laughs> with caramel. Yeah, it doesn't it sound amazing? I mean, it's not bad, but it's not the best candy not, bar. You know, I'm not really a chocolate person. I mean, I'll I'll eat chocolate. I don't mind chocolate, but I don't need chocolate <laughs> in my candy bar. I thought maybe Kit Kat, but I get sick of those. Kit Pay Kat yeah. is good until you get to the fourth one, and then you're like, ah, I don't need this. Exactly. Yeah. So, pay. I can always eat payday. Diane, what do you think? Mine's anything Reese's. I'm, I'm not well, even going to pick one. Reese's cups and Reese's pieces are very different candy. No, and then you've got take fives and you've got Nutrageous. And there, there's a bunch you gotta of good. you got to pick. i got to yeah, pick, pick one? Reese's pieces, then, if I had to pick one. That's mm. not a candy bar. So if I had to take one out of that, <laughs> I would then go with take five. Interesting. That's a newer candy bar. Uh, within the last five years or so. Dan is called to the new in everything he does. Payday is a classic. When you true. put chocolate, peanut butter, and pretzels together, I mean... It is true. You it's kind of have that delicious. aha moment. Like It's like one of those, why didn't I design that? Like It's the salt. Man, the salt and the chocolate. So good. Anyway, if you really want a good candy bar, there's two ways you can go, but both involve your freezer. 
You got to put a Butterfinger or a Heath bar into the freezer. Let that stew in there for a little while. Delicious. Heath bar might break your teeth. Be careful. Butterfinger's a little softer, but both of those are absolutely delicious. That's where you need to go for candy bar. If you're branching out, eat a Samoa. It's the best Girl Scout cookie. All right. And our last... we covered that. (laughs) That's incorrect as well. (laughs) Now, our last question. You don't think Samoa is the best Girl Scout cookie? Are you a Thin Mints person? Uh, Don't say tag along. I like tag alongs the best. Oh, gosh. But Thin Mints are good as well. We're done. Actually, one of my favorites recently are the new lemon ones. They taste really good with a nice cup of tea. Okay. I'll have to try that. That does sound good. Yeah. Okay. So our last question, this comes from our buddy Travis Hill. What's your favorite brew method of coffee? Now, I have to plead the fifth because I don't drink coffee. I'm not a coffee guy, but I do drink a lot of beer. And my favorite brew method of beer is craft. Craft I think that that's a valid answer. Yes. And I will drink that. Always breaking the rules. I didn't know that was an option. So, my favorite brew method of coffee is also beer. Uh, (laughs) I I don't drink coffee either. I gave that up because it's an awful, awful thing. It's delicious, but it's awful. Uh, I guess I would say Keurig because that's the only way that I know at this point. Wow, guys. I have a Nescafe in my house, but I don't use it. My wife does. (laughs) Oh, what about coffee beer, Dan? You like coffee beer? Um, I like my stouts more on the chocolate side than the coffee oh, side. Oh, but I forgot. I, I will drink a coffee stout if it's if it's legit. Kel loves coffee stouts. Wow, guys. These are disappointing answers for the listeners. Oh, I sorry. myself like to start with a finely ground Tanzanian pea berry and then put that into... Uh, no, just kidding. Intravenously? Like, I'm a teacher. I have to get up pretty early. Uh, any way I can get coffee or tea into me is fine. I don't care if it's Keurig or French press or cold brew or whatever you're doing with your coffee. As quick as possible, it would be my answer. I don't know most of the things you just said. Oh, well, one of my friends... Canadian what's a Transylvanian pea berry? Tanzanian. It's a type of coffee oh, bean. Tanzanian. Yeah, Not Transylvanian. Transylvanian. <laughs> uh, it's a type of coffee bean with a subtle, odie undertone. Yeah, what you can't see is Tiff's looking on her computer. <laughs> I am. clearly some Googling done. <laughs> uh, no, um, I, I do have a friend who's kind of a coffee snob and literally goes to websites and orders fancy coffees and bruise them weirdly so there is there are people out there that do that and i respect it but what that friend told me was don't get into this it's like a slippery slope and i've got enough slippery slopes so i just i curate get out i drink a lot of pg tips in the tea department and that's about it pg tips you're hardcore you know it nice (laughs) ohio's finest Well, Travis is from Texas, isn't he? So why is he drinking coffee? Do they not drink coffee in Texas? I just figured it was more like a West Coast thing. Shouldn't he be drinking like rattlesnake venom? (laughs) Yes, that's what they drink in Texas. Sounds like a manly thing. Cool. So, again, (laughs) thanks everyone for your questions. Um, This is fun for us, and I hope it's fun for you. So if you have some more, please submit them. They don't have to be board game related. If you want to know some more personal things about us, because we don't share enough silly personal things about ourselves, maybe feel free to ask them. Uh, We're all open books, pretty much. 
So yeah. Anyways, well, you are. I'm not. I, yeah. I will post these questions in the guild in a thread and love to hear your answers on them too, because obviously there's some, some good questions here. So we'll do this segment again um, in a couple weeks with some of the other questions that we received already. So thanks guys. So speaking of the guild real quick, shout out to Mike Risley for putting together our, our top of the stack every month. He's doing good work. You know, I, we appreciate it. And I don't know if we've ever expressed that. Uh, but, you know, feel free to start up threads and do whatever you want on our guild. It's it's a free world out there. But we appreciate uh, kind of taking care of us and getting the content out to people, being part of the community. So I just wanted to throw that, throw that in there. Thank you, Mike. So that is a glorious conclusion to episode 32 of the podcast of Nonsensical Gamers. We thank you all for joining us. If you ever want to chat with us, as why wouldn't you, uh, reach out to us on Facebook by searching for the League of Nonsensical Gamers. Shoot us an email at podcast at nonsensicalgamers.com. Join us on BGG Guild number 2077. Feel free to ask Dan for a couple of geek gold so that you can get a Nonsensical Gamer Shield, a micro badge. Biff worked hard making that little guy, and we appreciate everyone repping them right now find us on instagram or if you like the show and you'd like to provide us some feedback or help the community find out about us we would appreciate itunes reviews hearts on board game links or uh, reviews on stitcher those all help our show get out there and remind us you know why we do what we do we do it for you and we'd like to hear your feedback so if you want to talk to us directly you can always reach out to us on twitter that is the best way to find us and dan if they want to see you or talk to you how do they do that at League Nonsense or at Scandalous underscore Nad. And Tiffany B. I am at Inept Gamer. Yep. And I am at Cinnamon Buns, spelled phonetically or stupidly, depending on who you ask. Uh, one last note, be sure to hit up Dan and Tiff at BGGCon, uh, which is happening shortly after this episode airs. I'm sure they would love napkins in their laps and hugs and things like that. Side note, uh, one vote for me for stupidly. (laughs) (laughs) All right, everyone, say goodbye. (laughs) Toodles. Jerk. I mean, bye. (laughs) (laughs) Bye. Being that we are in different parts of the country, Matt and I in Maryland, Tiff and I in Mordor, or sorry. What? <laughs> what? <I> was, <laughs> Tiff and I what are you talking place. about? I was trying to say that Tiff is in some desolate place. <laughs> you said Tiff and I in yeah. Mordor. Okay, let's start let's this again. Let's try that again. All right. I say keep it. Well, Matt, Matt, I met in 1990 when he came out of my mother's womb. I was naked. Um, it was awkward. It was. I think his penis is about the same size, though, but that's just an assumption <laughs> on my part. Uh, <laughs> All right. Now we have to add the R rating to this episode. <laughs> Warning. <laughs>